0: Well, good morning, everyone. Happy New Year. Unfortunately, Dave's not up here to play the drums. You give me the old... Psh, psh, psh. I've been waiting on that for a while. Uh, you never quite know when that's going to happen. So you have to keep coming back every week to see is this week that uh, Dave's going to get pop-up-ching his new one-liner... Um, Hey, I'm anticipating great things for 2021, and I have a variety of reasons why. First and foremost on the list is uh, how much better can a new year be when it starts on the weekend, when it starts on a Friday, right? Think about it. Really think about it. It's like you're starting a whole new year, but you get the whole weekend off. Everybody hands up. You like that idea? Should we just start every new year on a Friday? I think it'll work. Uh, another thing is, is a little bit of a shout-out to, to uh, people who made New Year's resolutions. Anybody make, like, a New Year's resolution? No, everybody. Nobody likes, in church, nobody likes that question. But a shout-out to all the people on Thursday that made a New Year's resolution, but decided, ah, let's wait till Monday. Ah, just wait till Monday. Right? So we're glad that you're here. Uh, we're glad that we're here to, to uh, worship together. We're glad that we're here to sing together. Uh, glad that we 're here to uh, in the Lord uh, come together to encourage one another. I see that happening it 's really it 's really a great thing, like the fact that we have to almost kind of interrupt all the interaction that 's going on before church uh, because you guys are ministering to one another, encouraging one another, talking with one another, getting caught up uh, we see people praying with one another. You see the same thing after the service, which is awesome but the, just it 's a simple fact that it, that that, uh, uh, that you guys are doing that, all of those one another's, um, really is an awesome thing. And it's really kind of where we're going to end up in the sermon today, talking about a, uh, a real um, complex, maybe a uh, controversial is a better way to put it. Um, but uh, sometimes it's easier to understand a passage that you're going through When we actually go to the end and see where the author's going, see where the Holy Spirit took Peter, that way we can kind of go backwards then and fill in the blanks. I'll give you just a a quick sentence. Peter says this, he says, Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers, be tenderhearted and courteous. That's really what I see going on before and after church, different occasions, the different Christmas parties, the New Year's Eve gatherings. I see that type of activity, which is really awesome. And uh, as we dive into this third chapter of 1 Peter, um, I want to remind us of this, is that uh, um, there's a lot of different takes on what the Bible says. And uh, there's a lot of ways that this plays out in our lives. And I encourage All of us to just simply make sure that we dive into the Bible and see what the Bible says. And I'll maybe share this story a little bit later on, but that very encouragement happened this last week in this church with a lady that was looking for direction, was wondering, like, God, what are you doing in my life? And why do my desires and what's going on? And and it's a very complex situation, but. The reality is, is that she just took the challenge to go home and to dive into the Bible, see what the Bible has to say for itself, and that leaves left her, and it really leaves all of us at a decision point. Will I accept this as the inerrant, infallible word of God or not? And then am I going to follow that? And, and, it, and a lot of this really just boils down that simply Although sometimes the walkout can be complex, I think that we have the the encouragement of the Lord and the leading of the Holy Spirit to do exactly what the Lord and the Word of God says. And so I just wanted to start off today in that way. I wanted to start out also with the fact that, uh, because this is a subject particularly that can be really um, real stoic, real harsh, it can come across that way super serious and heavy and it can come across that way and and we should take the word of God serious don't hear the wrong thing but I want to make it a little bit lighthearted because we have had so much fun in our home with these verses and my wife's over here giggling because she knows exactly where it's going to go we're working on a few things in the Hopkins home not just her me too but we've had a lot of fun this week with these verses kind of back and forth and talking about them and uh reminding one another what the bible says and uh so we'll kind of get into that a little bit too maybe we should pray first before we get going father we thank you for today and of course we thank you for your word that your word father would uh would lead us uh, through your holy spirit we'd be led to be closer to like you and closer uh like Jesus in our words, in our actions, in our understanding, uh, that we would reflect your goodness and your glory, Lord. So we thank you for today. Thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I'll jump right on the back of the bull and say that submission to authority is definitely a hot-button topic in our culture. Uh It really stirs up. If you want something to poke the bear, something to stir the hornet's nest, when you say in church, and I know your minds are racing at this point. Everybody's got a little different point of view, maybe. A different view, different experience. It is important, as I get going, it is important that we uh, learn from what the Word of God says Uh, and that then our experiences are folded into that rather than controlling what the Word of God says. You guys get what I'm saying? In other words, if our experiences in life dictate how we understand the Bible, we're kind of getting it backwards. That's not living by faith. That's living by sight. And so our experiences have to ride behind the truth that we find in the Word of God. But this is definitely a hot-button topic in our culture for sure. It's a minefield Various ideas, actions, reactions, and beliefs. Uh, and that's inside and outside of the church. So let's just be honest with that. With That's where it is. Um, the, uh, it's, it's getting harder and harder in our culture, I think, to distinguish. Maybe for a, somebody who's not a Christian, somebody that's not a churchgoer or a Christ follower in any way. Really to distinguish... Uh, those that are in and outside of the church. And that's not on them, that's on us. I think that our following the word of God should, there should be a marked difference between those that are in the church. There should be a difference between me and those that are not believers. There should be a difference between you and those that are not Christ followers. So that might be on us, that might be a little challenging. Uh, But many people have failed to understand what the Bible really teaches on this issue of submission and there's three kind of basic I I kind of boiled history down to the three basic categories when it comes to patriarchal authority uh, throughout history and these are just general terms you can get more specific you can have different times in history that are different but really there's kind of three and I think the third one is the one that God's calling us to shoot at Uh, if you see them up here there's abuse Those that treat people uh, horribly, those that uh, treat people in their care as property—that's one type of authority structure, I suppose. You might say Uh, we see a lot of that throughout, uh, you know, more throughout history. In a sense that um, we see that in the the Word of God, even we see that in, in the things that are written, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, that they're just really harsh. Because they just, are, they, they just take that right or they take, take it by force. Um, it becomes culturally normal, I suppose you might say. Uh, definitely a mistreatment of God's people and, and of people that God created. There's the th- second category is the absent. The absent authority. Those who seek to erase or modify all created authority distinctions and roles. That's really where we are in today's society, more so than the first. I would suppose you would take the first as those that today are, are uh, propagating um, you know, uh, slavery, human trafficking, uh, abuse, especially you see this in parts of the world where, where women are still treated and kids are still treated as slaves, still treated as property, there's no rights. Um, but the second one is perhaps maybe in the quote-unquote, enlightened era. I don't think that there's anything enlightening about it. But those who seek to race or modify all created authority distinctions and roles. We'll get into that. Third category is really, I think, the sweet spot. And that's authentic authority. And those who understand and operate under biblical authority despite cultural pressures, teachings, or norms. It's important to understand that. That our goal here is to lead and teach in that third category. Uh, That would be we would be a church full of men and women and children that reflect Jesus' work of redemption in how we handle and respond to biblical authority. That's a big statement. That's a statement a lot of churches just do not want to touch with a 10-foot pole because they're scared to death that next week the chairs will be empty and the coffers will be dry. But the reality is, is that's where the church is called to be biblically. That we would be a church full of men, women, and children that reflect Jesus' work of redemption, Christ's work on the cross, redeeming us out of the slave market, out of the the market of our own sin and suffering, and that we would handle then and reflect his goodness in handling and respond appropriately to biblical authority. With all that in mind, uh, let's dive into our text for today. I'll set it up this way. this idea of submission to authority is not new in Peter's writing. In fact, prior to our little holiday break in First Peter, we looked at a few different areas in chapter 2 where Peter is talking about being submissive, all of us. Being submissive in the areas of government, in the areas of employment, um, that we are to be submissive in, in that sense. Now, I also made a statement that I think is critical that we understand. And that is, is in the Word of God, when God talks about submission in human interaction terms, so person to person, that is, uh, he never speaks in, in absolute terms because absolute terms would lower God's authority in our lives below people. That's unbiblical. So God always reserves the right, he always reserves that right, that his authority is over everything. And so, if your employer asks you to cheat, if your employer asks you to fudge the numbers, if the government asks you to do something illegal, immoral, or unbiblical, you have every single right under God to say, forget it, not going to do it. Now, you may walk out the consequences of that decision, but you will walk those consequences or that particular suffering out With God's blessing. It might not seem like it's a blessing all the time, but you will have God's blessing if you are putting Him in that overarching authority role in your life above everything else. This next category is the same. We're going to dive into that. But Peter ends chapter 2 by reminding us that Jesus is the ultimate example of submission to authority, that He committed Himself to the Father who judges righteously. That he selflessly and sacrificially gave himself for our redemption. That he bore our sins so that we could live in the same righteousness that he has. That Jesus provides healing, both spiritual and physical. And ultimately, Peter says there at the end of chapter 2, he says, For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. So you've come back. You've come back in underneath that authority. The shepherd has authority over the flock. We here believe, we rewrote our whole constitution and bylaws to to state exactly that. That Jesus is our senior pastor. Right? And so the same thing applies in a personal sense. I believe the same thing applies in marriages and families and so on and so forth up the chain. That Jesus then is that that overseer, that shepherd, and has the authority to take the sheep where he wants the sheep to go. And so, that's kind of the picture that Peter leaves us at the end of chapter 2. Now, Peter changes topics. He changes paradigms, but he stays within the topic, I suppose, of authority and submission, and that's home in the marriage. So, if you're with me, or if you're looking up on the screen, let's jump into... 1 Peter 3 and read a few verses. Wives likewise be submissive to your own husbands that even if do some do not obey the word they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Ladies Peter starts out writing to you men don't fall asleep because your time's coming in verse 7. So don't uh, fall off the the, the, the chair just yet. He has plenty to say about guys. And he shoehorns a lot into one verse. But, ladies, he starts with you. And he starts out by saying, likewise, another connecting the same thoughts that ties back to what we are just talking about in chapter 2. And Peter's saying, just like your interaction with the government or the interaction with your employer, wives are to submit to their own husband. In my Bible, I have the word own husband underlined. It'd be good for you to do that. Ladies, you're not called to to have a one-on-one submissive spot, if you will, uh, to every guy in the church. You're responsible to your guy. You're responsible to your guy. So you're responsible to your husband. Submit to your own husband. Paul instructs Christians in the same manner. If you put a pin here and First, uh, in First Peter 3 and look at Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says the exact same thing. He says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of the body, therefore just as, Christ is subject, as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. The first point for today is that God has created a pattern of authority in the family that reflects his leadership in the church. That's the pattern for our for uh, for our family and for our families. That's the pattern for you and your family. It should be the pattern for you and your families. That as Jesus is the head of the church, as he leads the church, fellas, we're to lead our families. It's it's not really debatable. If we just read the text for what it says. There will be many that try to put a spin, try to try to jump through hoops, try to try to somehow qualify all these statements based on other ends. But the reality is, is that I think the Bible is crystal clear. I think the Bible can be understood at about a 7th or 8th grade reading level very easy. And I think God intended it that way. So that we would understand clearly, the common person, the average Joe or Jane, would understand what the Word of God has to say. And it doesn't matter if it's this subject or another subject. So God's created this pattern of authority in the family that reflects his leadership in the church. Uh, the vast majority, I would think, that are of our culture, including inside the church, um, according to their words and their actions, they don't believe that this is true. They simply don't believe that this is true. That we're maybe in somehow uh, some type of enlightened era, that we've evolved into a, a better understanding. That we're uh, somehow our culture is systematically trying to dismantle essentially these biblical principles that we find here in First Peter and in other places. That's kind of the goal if you want to know what the other side's up to in this area. The claim is is that they're archaic, overbearing, or perhaps abusive. And I'm not going to tell you that they haven't been. I'm going to be honest with you and say that there's times that they have been. So the idea is, is because of those, then we erase what the Word of God says and we start fresh in a new way in our culture to try to create something better. Tell me how that better is working now for the last hundred and some years. If you know much about history. Is it working better? You guys think it's working better? Is divorce rate down because things are better? Or, or is crime down because somehow things are better when it comes to the authority structure in the home? Are there less kids on drugs? Are there less men watching porn? Are there less ladies that are, that are doing their thing outside of the uh, authority of their husband? I don't think so. So I'm not convinced, and neither should you be, that this somehow what our culture has to say about authority in the home is somehow the better point, the better way. But I'm not going to say that there hasn't been abuses in the past either. There definitely has been. And I think that the negative side of both of those examples, whether it's the abuse side of authority or the absenteeism side of authority, that those people that carry that weight... They will will answer to God for that. As I will answer to God for my caring authority in our home and in my family and in our marriage. And men, so will you. So that abuse side, that abuse side, as horrible as it is, and as wrong as it is, cannot be used to justify absenteeism in the home. And that's where our culture really is. We have men that have checked out absolutely checked out. So maybe we should start with a little bit of a definition here. Biblical submission is a right response to God's appointed order of authority, holding God as the absolute authority in our lives. Do we get that? Biblical submission is a right response to God's appointed authority, order of authority, holding God as the absolute authority in our lives. And Peter gives the ladies a real life example to understand this principle. He gives them, a, he gives them something that, that, that is ch- tangible for them. Something that is we don't understand in our culture today, but was true then, and that's this point. It was absolutely unheard of, absolutely unheard of in the first century, that a lady... That a wife would believe something different than her husband. Absolutely unheard of. It, it, it's preposterous. Jonathan and I were joking around. I said, hey, jo-. I told him last night, I said, hey, Jonathan, there's a certain point in the sermon, do you want to just rise up and say, preposterous? I thought that word fit in there pretty good. But it was unheard of in the first century that a wife would believe something different that she would have a faith completely different than that of her husband. Whatever the husband believed, that's where the family went. But the reality is, is with Christ on the scene, in the first century context, I believe that God knew full well, and Peter knew exactly what he was talking about when he wrote this example down. This was a real-life example. And I believe it's still a real-life example today. When he says that even if some, talking about the husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they husbands, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives, when they ob- when the husbands observe, observe the wife's chaste conduct, accompanied by fear. With the word of God spreading out into the known world in the first century, God knew that this would be a reality. That there would be ladies that come to, and the Bible's full of stories. We just preached through Acts a couple years ago. So we see all kinds of stories of ladies that come to faith in Christ. It doesn't mention their husband, doesn't mention that they were there and their husband came to faith first and then their wives and all that. It just gives us examples of these different ladies all over the known world that come to faith in Christ first. So how do you handle that in a world that that's not normal? Is that the exception clause for authority in the home? Peter doesn't say so. Peter actually says it's still the same as it's always been. Now you have an opportunity to show who Christ really is. And you can show that person that's closest to you. You can show that person that you sit down and eat breakfast with, lunch and dinner, that person that you spend the most amount of time with, that person that you're closest to, you can show them rather than speaking to them. You can show them, ladies, exactly what God is all about, exactly who Jesus is. I've seen this example played out a variety of different times. I've seen this example play out even in my own life under the authority of my dad, who at the time was not a Christ follower, was not a Christian. But there was a time as, as just, just before you guys have heard my testimony and the truck wreck that I was in in 1990. Well, a little backstory to all of that is I was kind of in and out of this dating relationship for quite a few years with a gal that my dad didn't really, uh, he didn't talk to me about it, maybe like he could have. But I definitely knew where what he believed. I definitely knew that I did not have His approval. And I knew that I was outside of that umbrella of authority, yet in my sinful life, in my, in my quest to, to do my own thing, I, I just kept going. But I knew I didn't have His approval. And there was that point in time where that all came front and center in my life, where I come right up to the stage of that situation and said I had to make a choice am I going to come under authority am I going to submit to the authority in my life and allow God to use him to guide me like he is in all these other areas I was just holding on real tight to that one thing and how many times do we hold on tight to just that one just that? Oh, come on Lord come on God I just need just this one thing and I had to loosen the grip. The conviction of the Spirit came over me and I had to loosen the grip on that one thing and come underneath the authority that I knew had a different idea. That I knew, even though he wasn't a believer at the time, I knew his, his uh, uh, value system. I knew that he had a, a, a look into the future on my behalf and was protecting my best interests. I knew that instinctively, even though we never talked about it. I want to pause right there and say, guys, talk to your kids and your wife about these things. Don't let it go unmentioned. Don't let it go unsaid. Don't let it happen. Put a a future and a vision out there for our kids and for our wives to say, this is the direction we're going. I'm not perfect, but God has put us in this role. He's, he's made these distinctions of roles for men and women. And so here's where we're going. He's called me to be the leader and the vision caster for this family. Here's where we're going to go. Talk to your kids. Don't let them do like what happened to me. Although the end played out well, actually. And the end didn't play out well because my dad was a great communicator. The end played out well because I come under his authority, despite the fact that he wasn't a believer And here we are today. Life would have been very different for me. I guarantee you, life would have been a lot different for me had I forged ahead in my own will, in my own way. So, a little personal example, but I've seen this play out in in, uh, uh, a lot of different ways where ladies just simply read this and said, All right. What do I get to lose? And that would be my challenge to the ladies. If you're struggling to try to get your point across to a husband or or trying to win them over if they're not a believer. Or I don't even think this is just about believers and non-believing husbands. Let's be honest about that. The word doesn't say that it's believing and non-believing. It says disobedient. So I'm not so foolish, and we shouldn't be so foolish, to think that this only applies to ladies who are married to unbelieving husbands. This can apply across the board guys that are in disobedience and are believers as well like the previous areas of submission it's our actions that demonstrate what we truly believe and Peter says that even a disobedient husband can be won over by the actions of a wife and it's really this it's the reflection of Of the inner godly woman. Peter says in verse 3. Do not let your adornment be merely outward. Arranging the hair. Wearing gold. Putting on fine apparel. Let's pause right there in verse 3 and say. Peter's not saying don't do those things. He's not saying that we all have to dress up uh, as ladies primarily. Although guys might dig this idea. So let's just see if there's a chuckle or not. We don't have to dress up like the Amish. Although the guys think, I don't know, straw hat, it's not a bad idea on the hot summer day, right? He's not saying that. He's not saying don't wear jewelry or don't wear nice clothes or don't dress up in a nice way. He's saying do not let it be merely outward. Verse 4 says, rather let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is this. And this is one of the key phrases through all of 1 Peter. Peter's mentioned at a variety of different times in a variety of different ways, about a variety of different people, including Jesus himself. Peter says, which is very precious in the sight of God. So lady, what's you guys get this great compliment That your inner beauty, your inner person, as you strive to follow Christ, as you are under the leadership of your husband, that inner beauty, that hidden person of the heart, that is precious in God's sight. He puts a high, high, high value on who you are as a woman of God. A high value that cannot be underscored enough see the critics that take these verses and take them out of context i was reading a uh, there was a post that really fried me on i deleted the person on facebook if you can imagine that because they they come off with this they they reposted this liberal statement about how the church has to oppress women oppress women to to keep the uh, you know to keep things to keep women under their thumb so they got to keep you know, the thousands and thousands of, of uh, sermons that are preached every day about women in, in submission to authority. And so their view is, is that this is, this is the cultural view. If you want to know what a cultural view is, a cultural says is that the church is oppressing women. couldn't be anything further from the truth when God says that your inner person is precious in his sight. And if it's precious in God's sight, men, it should be precious in our eyes as well that it's who a lady really is on the inside Because guess what for all of us guys and gals the same all alike, it all changes right it all changes ladies you know that that's true the older that you get guys we know that that's true right the older that we get and as a society we're spending billions of dollars a year to try to stop the aging process with a 0% success rate. 0%. But what doesn't age, what doesn't age, Dennis and I were talking about this other what doesn't age is the Holy Spirit in us. And that Holy Spirit in us linked in with that hidden person of the heart for the ladies. God's word says that is precious. God says that's precious in His sight. They don't talk about that part in their mantra of tearing down the church, in their mantra of feminism in our culture. They don't want to talk about that part. Again, Peter taps into a powerful principle that God created a special beauty that defines a Christian woman. This was earth-shattering in the first century. This was insanely uh, uh, out there in the first century, that women would be viewed this way. The reality is, is that God's always viewed women this way. That's the inner beauty, that incorruptible and eternal inner beauty. It's a gentle and quiet spirit. Those are the things that's precious to God. And Peter gives us an example to go on. A pattern from the Old Testament. Now, this is where it's gotten funny in our house this week. As Peter says in verse 5 it says, For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good, and are not afraid with any terror. I've tried all week. You guys, guys know where I'm going with this. I've tried all week. I've dro- dropped subtle hints. I've dropped straightforward hints on this idea of Sarah calling Abraham Lord. I can't get any traction. And it's at that point that Tammy says, Hey, dude, <laughs> read verse 7. Just read verse 7. <laughs> we've had a lot of fun and I think, I think that this, this topic it, it, it should not be so sober it should, it should not be so it, it's serious because it's what God says but we can have a little fun with it and still t- stay in the context of what the Bible has to say Right? now a word for the guys now a word for the guys husbands likewise so tying everything together dwell with them in an understanding dwell with them with understanding giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered god created men to lead the home as he leads us very clear from the text paul says the same thing in ephesians in various places that is, Jesus leads us, we lead the home. We lead the marriage. We lead the family. We don't take a break. We don't, and this is what's really going on in our culture in these days, and this is kind of both parents, really. Uh, we have a tendency in our culture, men and women, that when our kids hit about the junior high age, we hold our breath until they get a diploma. Am I wrong? I'm not wrong about that. Our culture just says, we just take a big old gulp of air and then we go under the water for five years, six years. That's where our culture really is. Just hoping that they make it. Just hoping that they get through. Just hoping that the cops don't show up. Just hoping that they come home at night. Right? Just hoping that they're not watching this or they're not doing that or they're not with this person or not with that person. That they're not hanging with this crowd and not hanging with that crowd. And our culture just holds their breath rather than having an impact. Uh, We chose a different route. We didn't hold our breath. We got in the middle of their stuff. We had highs and lows. But we've come out the other side, I believe, and I'm not bragging about this, I believe there's there's some blessing in, in, in operating the family that way. And guys, it starts with us, and it starts with this word right here. Understanding. It starts with us understanding our wives. Understanding our kids. Knowing who our wives are. Knowing their strengths and weaknesses. Knowing their tendencies. Knowing their patterns of life. Knowing their look. You guys know what I'm talking about. The look you guys get the look? Oh, I get the look, and that's when the old remember Sarah and Abraham and the Lord thing comes out. I get the look. Knowing what their fears are. Knowing what drives them, knowing what their spiritual gifts are. Knowing what their strengths and weaknesses and tendencies are. It goes for our wives, it goes in our marriage, it goes for our families as well. Man, we are called, Peter's calling us out right here to be students to be lifelong students of those who we spend the most amount of time with, those that God's coupled us together with. And that's for, that's, that's for everybody's benefit. The fact that we can understand our wives, uh, there's a, um, I thought about playing it, I don't know how fast Kayla can get up. There's a, there's a meme, there's a meme that's out there with uh, uh, a guy at a you know, dry erase board and there's all these equations that are going on. And his head's kind of swirling around. And it's all these math equations. That's how guys feel a lot of times trying to understand their wives. It's like, it's high math, and I barely got past eighth grade math. So I can't do it, which is not true. That's not true. That's giving yourself an out, that's me giving myself an out that's not biblically there. And if you take that ramp off of life's journey, away from understanding your wife, we miss out on so much. You can do it. God's Holy Spirit is there to empower us men to understand our wives and kids as we lead them. It's part of his job. So God's created men to lead the home as God leads us, as Jesus leads his church, Five ways that we're to lead. First, we dwell with them. I guess I jumped ahead in my notes. First, we dwell with them. We must be present in the family. We must be present in the family. That's why it says dwell with them. Be with them. Don't take a break. Don't cash it in. Don't, don't push it all away. Don't fill your life with so much other stuff that, and, and I'll, I'll tell you fellas, and ladies, I'll confess this right now, I'm as guilty of this sometimes as anybody. That I will stuff my life so full of work and ministry and, and projects that there's been times, and Tammy will tell you, there's been times where she's suffered. Our marriage has suffered and our family has suffered. Isn't that true? There's been times. And so that conviction of the Spirit comes in. I stop. I reassess, recalibrate life, so to speak. Don't fill your life so full of everything else that your sweetheart and your kids get just the trimmings that fall off the table of your life. You have to have margin. I'm almost 50. I got just a few months to go, I'm 50. You imagine that? Over the hill, and I'm, in, I'm cutting the brake line, uh, rolling down the other side. My, life, well, my wife doesn't like it when I say that. But I'm rolling down the other side. We have to create margin... We have to create some space in our lives. Enough space that we're doing this task first. That we're doing this job first. That we're leading our wives and our families first. Then other things can kind of come in. Right? It's qualification for being a leader in the church. Can't lead your own home. Why should you be leading the the church of God? So it's important that we're there, that we're, that we're present. And Satan and the world will definitely will fill our lives with all kinds of other things and we will not even see those other things as good as they can be, as fun as they can be. As non-sinful in their nature as some of these other things can be, they will actually be there as an attack from the enemy to get our eyes off of the target. Get our eyes off of what our job really is. So we've got to dwell with them. Of course, we've got to understand them. I talked about that actually in reverse order. But we must embrace a lifelong quest of knowing and understanding our wives. The third thing, and this is really raises uh, the ire of many ladies in our culture. But I think it's a good thing. Because I think that's what the word of God is. It's a good thing. It says, husbands, likewise, dwell with them. With understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. That phrase, there, weaker vessel, has caused more division in our culture and in marriages than you can imagine. Because there's something inside of the natural woman, not the spiritual woman, but the natural side of us, that really takes umbrage with that statement. Weaker, what do you mean? Weaker. Right? They really react to that idea. And in that reaction, they're forgetting what Peter, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says prior to that. Giving honor. Men were to give honor to them as to the weaker vessel. The reality is is that, ladies, is that you were created to nurture. You were created to nurture. Men, you were created to lead and protect, provide. So we're created differently. We're looked differently. I'm looking at a whole group of people here, and the variety that's here is astounding from old to young. But there's essentially two categories there's guys and gals, and the guys look different. If my wife grew this much facial hair, we would have a problem. It's not in her nature. It's not the way she's created. It's not a reflection of God in her to do that. If I looked like her, if I showed up here on Sunday, I thought about doing, I didn't even tell you this. If I showed up here on Sunday with hoop earrings, wearing high heels and a skirt, oh yeah, oh, I can hear everybody's just like moaning, oh, that's so gross. Ah, get him out of here! That's what be that. I mean, there would be a. I, I know this for sure, and I'm seeing a few looks in the audience. There would be a group of dudes that would say, "Hey, we want to have a conversation with you." I would, or yeah, or I'd have the room to myself. Everybody just turn out, like, "Ah, let's go somewhere else. Men were created to preside. It's another word for leadership. Provide and protect. And it brings honor to the wife when her man operates biblically by leading the family and not putting her in a position not created for her. Do we understand that? Let me say it one more time. It brings honor to the wife. Here's, guys, here's how you honor your wife. When her man operates biblically by leading the family and not putting her in a position that God did not create for her. That's how we honor our wives. That's how we lift them up. I mean, there's a variety of, of other practical ways, and I think that we're all aware of that, you know, and, and, uh, when it comes to honoring. But the nuts and bolts when it comes to submission and authority in the home, guys, we do our ladies a disservice when we put them in positions not created for them, and we give them a burden that they're not created to carry for whatever reason. For whatever reason. And I know that this is controversial because you're all thinking how this may or may not play out in your life or in other people's lives. And I know it's controversial because in a room this size, undoubtedly, we have a wide variety of ladies that do other things, uh, you know, that are either not, you guys have careers, you guys have, uh, you work outside the home, you do other things. And I think that in that regard, there are times Definitely, Uh, I'm not saying that that's not okay. I'll just say that. I think that men, you need to be led by the Lord. Men and women need to be led by the Lord. Is Is this, God, what do you have for us? This is what I'm getting at. What do you have for us? But I will say this. Guys, if we are being lazy, if we are being lazy in areas of leadership that puts our wives in a situation where they have to carry more freight than they're created to, Something's going to fall apart. So we have to kind of check our uh, lazy meter, so to speak, and see where it's at. We need to be led by the Lord to do that. A friend of mine just recently um, quit his job. Don't think that's a bad thing. That's actually a good thing. He was working out of the area. He was working up in Alaska. And uh, I know there's some that work these you know crazy on and off shifts and and whatnot, but uh, <clears throat> when this whole pandemic thing started up, their company switched to instead of two weeks on, two weeks off, which is what he was working, they went to six weeks on, two weeks off. First two weeks of that shift on, he was stuck in a hotel in Juneau, quarantining, going crazy, because he does not like to sit still, and uh, his last shift this last fall, the day before he was supposed to go home, uh, of course, they're testing, and they're doing all these testing and everything. Well, this buddy of mine, he, got, uh, he popped a positive on the COVID test. So now he sits out in the brush after being gone for a month and a half. And this place is remote. You want to talk about remote? This is a two-hour boat ride outside of Juneau. So it's really remote. Gold mine up there. Anyway... He had to sit there another 10, 12 days until he tested negative. And he made a switch in career not because of what was best for their finances, not because of uh, he had a beef with the company he was working for. He enjoyed working for them, actually. He really enjoyed the work. He's a mechanic. He made a switch to lead his family in a fresh and a new way. There's no way that he could continue to be gone six or in this case, eight weeks. He's got three small kids. They need mom and dad. They're active, active in the church, active in uh, the community. They need Dad at home. So he made a decision to be present. He made a decision to lead. He made a decision to, or I shouldn't say he, I mean, they made the decision together, but it was his leading saying, hey, we need to step out in faith. These were his words, not mine. He says, it came down to this. We knew what God was calling us to do. It was a matter of whether I was going to step out in faith or not. The potential to make a lot less money, to have a lot more uh, responsibility, leading started his own business and all that. But that was his call. That was his, this is an example I'm just bringing up in the fact that that he's honoring his wife. He's honoring his wife by leading them well, by taking all these things into account. Not putting her in a position that was not created for her. I think I've beat that to death. I think you guys get what I'm talking about. The fourth thing is, is that the, Peter says this, and being heirs together of the grace of life. That is perhaps the greatest statement on this subject, in my opinion. And I'm going to tell you why. Peter is saying this, he says that before God, men and women, we have equal value we're heirs together, side by side, stand side by side before the Lord, and, 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 and it's equal. The ground is level. Heirs together. By the way, the feminist movement, they don't want to talk about that idea either. They don't want to quote that part of the verse. They just want to stick to the, the front end. What Peter's saying here is outstanding. It says we're heirs together. In other words, men, women, children kids, high schoolers, your value before God is equal. And then there's different roles and responsibilities. There's different distinctions based upon how God has created us. But the value is equal. And where so many have got it so wrong for so long is we attach value to responsibility. We take, we take somebody that's in, the, that's in a place of leadership. Let's just pick on Uncle Don for a bit. He's only going to be in office for a little while, longer, maybe, maybe longer. We put so much value on the presidency as a society that everything that goes wrong in this country is his fault and anything that goes right, as long as you voted for him, is his victories. We put tons and tons of value on that position and then everybody else is down here that's not biblically correct when it comes to the home we're on equal footing before Christ with different roles and responsibilities and there's been lots of movement in our culture to erase that because they have a tendency to say well if you have this responsibility then you're either worth more or you're worth less it's not biblical. So we erase the. Our push currently, really, actually, I've been reading up on this a little bit. Uh, it's actually started in the mid 1800s. But the push really is to erase the distinctions between men and women. We see it play out currently in a lot of the laws that have just passed and what's socially acceptable in our country. We, they, there's a push that they want no distinction. So we just all look like, you know, pre-programmed robots, I guess. So much for individual <laughs> liberty. So much for created order. We cannot attach value to that responsibility in that way. That somehow, guys, that because you're called to lead, you have more value. Or on the other side of the scale, ladies, because you're called to follow, you're worth less not biblically accurate we cannot we cannot get this wrong we cannot get it wrong we are have equal value before god but different roles and responsibilities and duties i can't make it more clear the blessing the blessing that comes with this for the guy is unhindered prayers if we wonder why our prayers hit, bounce off the ceiling sometimes, guys, uh, check the status of your marriage. Okay? Peter says, so that your prayers are not hindered. So we can have, we can be in a sweet spot of unhindered prayers. I mean, and guys, we really know it intuitively. If our marriage is like not in a good spot, there's times where I'm like, I can't even pray about this. <laughs> why, why should I even pray about it if I can't even be in the right relationship with my wife? So, we can have that sweet spot, or we can be outside of God's will. We can be, you know, not understanding our wives, not being with them. We cannot honor them. We cannot see that we're heirs together, and then that puts us outside, you know, of a sweet spot of prayer. Or the the reverse is true as well. The reverse is true as well. So, if we wonder why our prayers are feeling hindered, you feel like God has his ears closed to the things that are on your heart, uh, check your heart, check your marriage, make sure that you're doing your part, make sure that your spouse is doing her part or his part in a way that brings the two of you together. And guess what? The heavens open up. It's crazy when prayers start to get answered. We should be keeping a log of these types of things, right? I guarantee you there would be a a, a parallel pattern of our prayer life and our marriage life will be on a parallel track. Biblically authentic leadership is one that reflects God's goodness of redemption for men and for women as they're being restored as I mentioned earlier and we're being restored for his created purposes. Peter concludes this section, Peter concludes this section with a few keys to a functioning Christian home in the context of community and I'm closing up, if somebody wants to go down and get um, the kids for communion, now would probably be a good time Peter says this. He says, "Finally, all of you, be of one mind." Imagine what your marriage would be like if you were of one mind, right? If you're of one mind on a on a eighty percent of the time, your marriage would probably be a lot different. Or ninety. Or uh. if you get to hundred, <laughs> you're doing something right for sure. If it's under fifty and you're fighting more than you're getting along, uh, you're not of one mind for sure. Peter says, finally, all of you, so incorporating the community into this, but definitely can it be applied to the marriage. Be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers, be tender-hearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, (coughs) that you may inherit a blessing. For he who would love life and see good days. Let him refrain his tongue from evil. Let his lips speak uh, and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him speak peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those that do evil. Peter's summarizing all of these really second half of chapter 2 and, and the first half of chapter 3 and he's linking them together in how we interact with one another how we, how we are tied together do we think the same way are we of one mind church are we of one mind or do we put an idea that well I, it's, it's, it's totally fine for somebody to think this way that way this way that way would we'll just show up on Sunday and sing a few songs and have a good time. We have to be thinking the same way as a community. We have to be processing the same way as a group of people, as a group of Christ followers. Are we compassionate for one another? Do we love as brothers? Do we love one another, men, to come up to another brother that's, that's struggling or mistreating his wife or, or uh, uh, neglecting his family? Do we love one another enough to come up and say, hey, this isn't going to work. Something's going to change here. You're not doing what you're created to do. You're not walking out the mandates that God has given you to walk out as a Christian man. But we're here to help. And can we help you? Or do we love one another that much? Or as a group, are we going to be passive? As a group, are we going t- to not dwell together and be absentee? being tender-hearted, being courteous. I love it when I see... Uh, you know one of the things that just really... Uh, I just really get charged up for guys because I think, hey, these kids are getting it right. Dads are doing... but Dads and moms are doing something right. When you've got a couple of young guys that are willing to run up and grab the door for a lady. I mean, not just young guys, but I see that from time to time. How many people who walked in here today, a little show of hands, and there was a couple of young fellas that were holding the doors open. And Isn't that nice? Make sure you tell them thank you. Thanks for being courteous. Thanks for being helpful. Right? At some point, we'll get back to having potlucks around here. And uh, that's going to come in real handy to have a couple of young fellas out there holding those doors open. But we're called to be courteous. The opposite of being courteous courteous is returning evil for evil, reviling for reviling. On the contrary, Peter says this. He says, Be a blessing. Our overarching call as Christians is to be a blessing to those that are around us. And it starts with the person closest to you working away. We get that, fellas, ladies? Being a blessing to those that are around us. Be a blessing. That's our call. That's the reflection of Christ in you and I, is to be a blessing, whether it's as a leader or as a follower. Our main objective is in following Jesus to be a blessing to those that are around us. David's gonna come and lead us in a time of communion.